The Old Testament reading for today is Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. The New Testament reading will be Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. In a way, this is a sermon on Genesis 2, 1 through 3. In a way, it is also a sermon on Matthew 12, 1 through 14. Uh, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is what is prompting our focus upon the topic of the Sabbath. Uh, Most of our time will be spent walking through the New Testament passage, though. Let us get ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now let us go to Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14. There we read, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So far the reading of God's most holy word. And our prayer is that the Lord would help us now as we study his word and labor to apply it to our lives today. So it was Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 that prompted this prolonged study on the Sabbath day. Uh, There we learn that God, after making the heavens and the earth in six days, rested on the seventh, blessed that day, and made it holy. And remember, this he did not for himself, for he did not need to rest, nor did he need a day to be blessed therein, but as a pattern for man to follow. Man from the beginning of time was to work six days, and on the seventh cease from his ordinary work to devote himself to rest and worship. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man, so that men and women would be blessed in it as they approach the day as holy. So Adam and Eve were to keep the Sabbath day while in the garden prior to the fall. It was a symbol of their faithfulness to their Maker. It was a sign that they were living in obedience to Him and for His glory. The Sabbath day was also a type for them. It was a picture of the quality of life that they would enter into should they fulfill the work that God had given to them by 
filling the earth and subduing it to the glory of their maker. And having completed their work, symbolized by the six days, they would enter into consummate and eternal rest, symbolized by the seventh, which is without end. The Sabbath day communicated these promises even to Adam and Eve. Now Adam and Eve fell into sin, as you know, but the Sabbath day remained. Uh, This was by the grace of God, the message that was that a pathway to eternal and consummate rest remained open for Adam and his descendants even after they fell into sin. Adam could no longer earn the rest, for he was fallen. Neither could his children, born according to the flesh, for they were born in sin. But the promise was that God would provide a Savior, a Redeemer, would come who would earn the rest that Adam failed to earn. You and I know him as Christ Jesus, our Lord. Adam did not know his name, but he hoped in him. He believed upon the promise of God concerning His eventual coming, and so did many of His descendants. And these, the people of God in the world, from the day of Adam onward, kept the Sabbath. It was a sign of their faith. It was a symbol of their obedience to God. The Sabbath day was a kind of token or badge for the children of Adam, indicating that they believed upon the promises of God and lived for the glory of their Maker. And also, a Sabbath day remained in the world from Adam to Moses. And in the days of Moses, the Sabbath was given to Israel, particularly that moral and natural law which was written upon the heart of Adam and Eve in the beginning was written on stone by the finger of God and delivered to Israel through Moses. Uh, The Ten Commandments contain God's moral law. And the fourth is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8. And so the same law given to Adam, having been been written upon his heart, was given also to Israel, but for them it was written on stone. The Sabbath day, as you know, was made more rigorous under Moses. It was made more rigorous not because the law was essentially changed, but because civil and ceremonial laws were added to the moral law in those days and for that people. The penalty, remember, for breaking the Sabbath under the Mosaic Covenant was death. These civil laws uh, were more rigorous than were imposed upon the people of God prior to the days of Moses. Also added to the law were ceremonial laws for the Jewish people living under the Old Covenant, which Moses mediated. These Mosaic laws have been fulfilled by Christ and are therefore taken away. Why am I moving so quickly through these things? It's because they've all been considered before in previous sermons. Uh, This was review. As we move further into the history of redemption, though, we come to the life of Christ. We have considered the Sabbath as it was in the garden. We have considered the Sabbath as it was from the fall of Adam to Moses. We have considered the Sabbath as it was under the Old Covenant from Moses to Christ. And now we must consider the Sabbath as it was observed by Christ prior to His resurrection. The question is, how did Jesus approach the Sabbath day? And what did He have to say concerning it? And I think this question should be of great interest to us. Uh, given that Jesus himself is the cornerstone of the foundation upon which the new covenant church is built. And where in the Bible can we go to find the answer to the question, how did Jesus approach the Sabbath day, and what did he have to say concerning it? And, And the answer is that we must go to the Gospels, for they contain a record of the life and teachings of Jesus. And if you were to read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would find that they actually have a lot to say about the Sabbath. 
And I think this is very significant that the Gospels have a lot to say about the Sabbath day. For the Gospels, remember, are not bare history, as if they were written for the purpose of telling us everything that Jesus did and said. No, to the contrary, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were selective in what they reported. I want you to remember what John said at the very end of his Gospel. Uh, Do you remember the final words? Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, John says. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John is telling us at the very end of his gospel, I have not told you everything that, that I could tell you. If I did, the world itself could not contain those books. Instead, John, as well as Matthew, Mark, and Luke, selected certain things to highlight They selected certain events and certain teachings of Jesus that would be of particular usefulness to whom? To the church, to the new covenant Christian. The Gospels are theological histories. They contain true history, but the Gospel writers reported on those things which would be of use to the new covenant church. And so a question that I must pose to the one who claims that the Sabbath day does not apply to the Christian is... Why do the gospel writers place such an emphasis upon the Sabbath day in their writings? Why such an emphasis upon the Sabbath day? If the Sabbath day were not to be kept by the New Covenant Church, why such an emphasis upon the Sabbath day in the Gospels? When you read the Gospels, the Sabbath principle comes up again and again. Jesus teaches a lot on it. It's as if He is preparing His followers under the New Covenant to honor the Sabbath day well. There are really a number of places that we could go in the Gospels to highlight Christ's view of the Sabbath day. Mark chapters 2 and 3 would be sufficient. So too, Luke chapters 4, 6, 13, and 14. We could also go to John chapters 5, 7, and 9. These would all be very good places to go. But today we're going to give our attention to Matthew chapter 12. And as we consider this passage, three truths are going to emerge concerning Jesus in the Sabbath day. One we will see that Christ kept the Sabbath perfectly. Two, we will see that Christ corrected the legalistic teachings of the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath. And three, we will see that Christ claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. And so now let us take these points one at a time, brothers and sisters. First of all, see that Christ kept the Sabbath perfectly. And before we get too far into this first point, we should remember that Jesus lived and died not under the new covenant, but under the old. It was His resurrection from the dead, His ascension to heaven, and His sending of the Holy Spirit, which marked the beginning of the new covenant. And so when I say that Christ kept the Sabbath perfectly, I mean that He kept the Sabbath as it was given to Adam, and also as it was given to Moses. For Christ lived and died under the Mosaic covenant, that is, the old covenant. And so please understand that Christ kept the old covenant, judicial, Jewish, and seventh-day Sabbath perfectly. Never did He violate it. For Christ, the Sabbath day was the seventh day. For He lived and died under the Mosaic covenant, which was a kind of republication of the covenant of works, uh, which was given to Adam and to Eve, of which the seventh-day Sabbath was a sign. The seventh-day Sabbath, remember, is connected to the principle of covenant of works. Christ lived under Moses, which was a 
covenant of works. Christ kept the Sabbath as given to Adam and to Moses. He lived under the covenant of works. And so Christ kept the seventh day Sabbath and also all of the other Sabbath days that were added to it under the law of Moses. He observed, for example, the Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, along with all of the other feast days mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. And this he had to do in order to be sinless. Christ, being a Jew born under the Mosaic Covenant, had to keep the law of Moses perfectly. If Christ were to have violated the weekly Sabbath or any of the other feasts or festivals given to Israel through Moses, he would have been a lawbreaker, a sinner, and therefore could not have been our Redeemer. We should remember, brothers and sisters, that Christ did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, Matthew 5, 17. He kept the law perfectly so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Christ obeyed the law in every respect, and He was righteous. This He did for Himself, in order to be sinless, and for all who believe upon Him. It is only because He was righteous and sinless that He could give His righteousness to those who believe in His name. And so it should be obvious to all, therefore, that Christ never broke the Sabbath as it was given to Moses, but He kept it perfectly. This He had to do to save lawbreakers like you and like me. To die as a substitute for the guilty, Christ had to Himself be perfectly innocent. He had to keep the law. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, we read that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. Uh, this does not mean that they had the munchies, okay? This means they were hungry. They were poor and hungry. And they began to pl- pluck heads of grain to eat, Matthew 12, 1. And as this story unfolds, we're going to see that the Pharisees, who were religious leaders and teachers amongst the Jewish people in that day, they began to accuse Jesus and his disciples of doing what? They said to them, you are breaking the Sabbath. You are violating the Sabbath day by plucking these heads of grain and eating them. According to them, that constituted work. You are doing work on the Sabbath day, and it is to be a day of rest. According to the Pharisees, the disciples of Jesus were harvesting grain and were therefore violating the Sabbath commandment as it was given at creation and also under Moses. The question is, were they correct? Were they correct? Was Jesus and his disciples, were they violating the law of Moses? Was Jesus at odds with Moses? Was he breaking the law of Moses when he plucked those heads of grain on the Sabbath day? And you would think that all Christians would be quick to answer saying what? No. Jesus never broke the law of Moses, but kept it perfectly. You would think that Christians would be quick to say, no, Jesus never broke the law of Moses. But in fact, many Christians today assume that Jesus was doing something contrary to the law of Moses when he and his disciples plucked heads of grain on the Sabbath day. In fact, I think this is the predominant view today, that what we have here in Matthew 12 is an instance where Jesus' opinion is different than that of Moses' opinion. The law of Moses forbids picking heads of grain on the Sabbath, period, but Jesus picked them because he saw things differently. At least that is what many 
today would say concerning this passage. I think it is really a ridiculous idea. Again, the culprit is dispensationalism, uh, which pits the Old Testament and the New, the Old Covenant and the New, Christ and Moses against one another in a, re- in a very radical way. I will not elaborate here. I, I uh, spoke against dispensationalism enough in our sermon series on the book of Revelation. But I think that is the culprit here. Is Jesus Lord of the Sabbath? Yes. He is Lord of the Sabbath, as we will see. Did Jesus have authority to change the law and to change the Sabbath day? Yes, He did, as we will see. But listen carefully, brothers and sisters, this He could do only after He faithfully fulfilled the old covenant law and inaugurated the new covenant by His death, burial, and resurrection. It was only then, after Christ finished His work of new creation, that a new law with a new Sabbath day could be instituted. First, Christ had to keep the law of Moses, including the judicial Sabbath, and this He had to do perfectly. Had He sinned against it, He could not have been our Redeemer. Had He sinned against it, He would not... He would have failed to keep the covenant of works just as the first Adam failed. Did Christ bring changes to the old covenant Sabbath? As we will see, the answer is yes, He did. But only after keeping the old covenant Sabbath perfectly. Christ, having kept the covenant of works and having instituted a new covenant, that is the covenant of grace, in His blood, then brought changes to the Sabbath day, but not a moment beforehand. No, friends, we... What we find here in Matthew 12 is Christ keeping the Sabbath, that is, the Old Covenant judicial Sabbath, and doing so perfectly. Secondly, see that Christ corrected the legalistic teachings of the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath day. That is what is going on here in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is seen correcting the legalistic teachings of the Pharisees concerning the Sabbath day. Jesus is correcting the Pharisees who had a wrong view of the Sabbath. Uh, To put it a little bit differently, this is not Jesus against Moses, but Jesus against the Pharisees who interpreted Moses wrong. This is not Jesus against the law of Moses, nor is it Jesus against the moral law written on man's heart at creation. But this is Jesus against legalism. This is not Jesus changing the Sabbath as it was given to Adam and Moses, but Jesus providing the proper interpretation of, of the Sabbath law. And so if you were to read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would find that Jesus was often at odds with the religious leaders of His day over the proper observance of the Sabbath. In fact, He is often at odds with the religious leaders of His day concerning the proper interpretation of the law of Moses. Never is it Jesus versus Moses, but Jesus versus the Pharisees, let's say, who interpreted Moses wrongly. They accused him of breaking the Sabbath day, but he labored here in this passage to show that their view of it was flawed. It was not correct. When the Pharisees saw Jesus and his hungry disciples plucking the heads of grain on the Sabbath day, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now I want you to pay special attention to how Jesus answered them. Listen to how he answered them. He did not say, well, that was Moses' opinion, but I have mine. Nor did he say, 
Listen, I'm doing away with the Sabbath. It does not apply to me nor to my disciples. But instead, what does Jesus do? He appeals to the Old Testament scriptures themselves to demonstrate that his actions were indeed lawful actions. Their interpretation of Moses was wrong and his was right. He appeals to the Old Testament to prove the point. Jesus had three things to say to the Pharisees. And when he said them, he made it clear that there were three activities appropriate for the Sabbath day. It was appropriate to do acts of necessity on the Sabbath day. It is appropriate to do acts of worship on the Sabbath day. And it is also appropriate to do acts of mercy. The very first remark is found in verse 3. Here is Jesus' first response. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And so Jesus is here referring to a story that's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, David, before he was King David, uh, and his men, they, they were on the run. Uh, they were fleeing from King Saul, who wished to take David's life. And they too were hungry Uh, They were destitute. They were desperate. And when they came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, David asked for bread for himself and for his men. He came to that priest and said, We're starving. We're about to perish. Give us something to eat. But there was no common bread, but only holy bread set apart for the worship of God. Bread that only, according to the law, the priests could eat. And so under normal circumstances, it would not have been lawful for David and his men to eat the holy bread, but given the unusual circumstances, it was given to the men, and rightly so. And so evidently, the ceremonial laws of the Old Covenant could be broken when human life was threatened. Evidently, the law was flexible enough to bend so that mercy could be shown to those in need. Ordinarily, David and his men would have broken the law were they to have eaten the holy bread, which was for the priests alone. But given the circumstance, it was right for them to eat it so that life might be preserved. It was necessary that they be given the bread, given the circumstances. Do you hear how Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees? Jesus and his disciples were in a similar situation. Uh, Being poor, they were hungry and in need of food. They were not engaging in the work of harvesting, but were only plucking what they needed to eat given their circumstance. Jesus' argument was that the Pharisees were too rigid in their interpretation of the law of Moses. They encouraged obedience to the law, which, by the way, was good and right, but they left no room at all for dealing with things necessary for life. The second thing that Jesus had to say to the Pharisees is found in verse 5. Again, Jesus does not oppose the law of Moses, nor does he claim to be doing away with the Sabbath, but he appeals to the Old Covenant again, saying, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And so here Jesus refers to the work that the Old Covenant priests were to do on the Sabbath day to carry out the worship of God. You can read for yourself sometimes. Sometime Numbers 28, 9 through 10, or 1 Chronicles 9, 32, and you'll see that the priests 
had work to do in the temple on the Sabbath day to make the worship of God possible. And so we'll ask this question. Were the priests guilty of violating the Sabbath by doing their work? And of course the answer is no. They were guiltless because their work promoted and made possible the worship of God, which is the principal activity on the Sabbath day. Remember that the Sabbath day was and is a day for holy convocation. We learned this last week. It is a day for the people of God to gather together to worship. It was and is a day where God's people are to gather together for worship. And so the priests under the Old Covenant, and I think elders and deacons under the New, have a certain kind of work to accomplish on the Sabbath day to make the corporate worship of God possible. And they do not violate the Sabbath when they do that work. And so I I hope you're beginning to identify the error of the Pharisees. It's as if they were concerned only with keeping the details of the Sabbath law while missing entirely the point of it. They were committed to the idea of rest, that is, ceasing from work, while missing the fact that there is a kind of work that is appropriate for the Sabbath day. Uh, Remember that God rested from his work of creation on the seventh day, but he did not enter into a state of idleness, did he? That was not the kind of rest that he entered into. He rested from his work of creation, but he did not enter into a state of idleness. Instead, he entered into a different kind of work. He entered into the work of contemplation. He contemplated his finished work and enjoyed it. And he continued also in his work of providence. In other words, he upheld the universe that he had just made. It was as if if the Pharisees were trying to promote idleness only. And Jesus corrected them by making it plain that there are activities appropriate for the Sabbath day, namely acts of necessity and acts of worship also. These two have been set before us already in this text. David and his men were guiltless when they ate the holy bread because the circumstance made it necessary for them to do so. Also, the priests were guiltless when they labored in the temple on the Sabbath day for their work made the worship of God possible, which is the central activity on the Sabbath day. They labored in the temple and were guiltless. And Jesus remarked, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Who was he referring to except himself? Something greater than the temple is here. The third thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees is found in verse 6, where he made it clear that the Sabbath day is a day to show mercy. There he is heard saying to the Pharisees, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Again, he is appealing to the Old Testament. And he is saying, Here you are so obsessed with keeping the particulars of the law that you are missing the point of it altogether. You're so obsessed with keeping the particulars of the law, you don't even have room to show mercy to those who are in need. Now, the Sabbath day is a day to show mercy to those in need. Christ and His disciples were in that moment in need. And so how wrong it was for the Pharisees to condemn them as they plucked the heads of grain instead of criticizing them. What should they have done? They should have fed them. They should have showed mercy to Christ and His disciples. Instead, there they stand. I don't know where they were. Maybe watching Jesus and His disciples from some elevated position, shaking their heads, saying, look at these lawbreakers. 
No, they were poor and they were hungry. They should have shown mercy to them. They should have fed them. And the story with, of the man with the withered hand that we read in verses 9 through 14, I think is positioned here in order to illustrate the principle that the Sabbath day is a day to do acts of mercy. Do you see how it is oriented here to this principle? If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And now the, the passage in Matthew goes immediately to this story where Jesus heals the man with a withered hand. He went there into their synagogue, one of their church gatherings, not altogether different from what we do on the Lord's Day. And there was a man there with a withered hand, and they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Why did they ask this question? So that they might accuse him. So that they might accuse Jesus. How sorry this is. They have already seen that Jesus has the ability to heal. You would think that they would come to Jesus and say, here is one of our brothers who has a withered hand. Would you heal him? But no, instead they use this man as a pawn in order to test Jesus to see if he would violate the Sabbath day according to their interpretation of the law. And here is how Jesus responded to them, knowing what they were doing. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? I mean, the answer is that they all would. If their sheep fell into the pit, they would do whatever it takes to get that sheep out. Why? Because it would cost them money to leave it there and to lose that sheep. And then Jesus reasons this way, Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Again, there is a kind of work that is appropriate for the Sabbath day. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Ordinarily, is it lawful for you to go about the business of tending your sheep on the Sabbath day? Well, no. But if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, you may lift it out. You may show mercy. You may preserve life. And if it is lawful to lift a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath day, how much more so is it appropriate to show mercy to a person a human being who is in need. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the others. But how did the Pharisees respond? It demonstrates how wrong-headed they were and how sick their hearts were. They went out and conspired against Jesus, how they were to destroy him. Again, they accused him of violating the law of the Sabbath day. And so, The Sabbath day is indeed a day to cease from our labors. It is. But it is also a day for holy activity. On it we are to engage in worship. On it we are permitted also to engage in acts of necessity and acts of mercy. Indeed, our confession is correct when it speaks to the activities proper to the Sabbath day. Chapter 22, paragraph 8 says, the Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Do you see that our confession is teaching, and rightly so, that the Sabbath day is not a day for idleness. It is a day to cease from ordinary work so that we might take up a different kind of work, so that we might enter into the work of worship, so that we might do acts of necessity and also show mercy to those who are in need. Uh, The Pharisees were only concerned with idleness, it seems. 
they missed the point that there was a work that was appropriate for the Sabbath day. Our third and final answer to the question, how did Jesus approach the Sabbath day and what did he have to say concerning it, is that Christ claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. And so he kept the Sabbath day perfectly. He did not violate the law of Moses. He consistently rebuked the Pharisees and corrected their wrong theology, their wrong doctrine. But it was not Jesus versus Moses. It was Jesus versus the Pharisees. But here we see that Christ says something astonishing. He actually claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he says. What does this mean that Christ is Lord of the Sabbath? Many have said that what it means is that Christ has the authority to do away with the Sabbath because he is Lord of it. It's a strange interpretation, I think. Nowhere does the text say this, not here in Matthew 12. Nowhere in the Gospels is there any hint that the Lord is going to do away with the Sabbath. In fact, a proper interpretation of the Old Testament makes it impossible for the Sabbath to be done away with until that which the Sabbath typifies is here. And in fact, the rest of the New Testament, after the Gospels, the book of Acts and the epistles themselves, teach that a Sabbath remains. Where this idea comes from that Jesus, being Lord of the Sabbath, had the authority to do away with it, I I do not know. Uh, But what does it mean? One, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath because He was the one, the eternal Word of God come in the flesh, who instituted the Sabbath at the beginning. Think of this for a moment. Who is Christ? He is the eternal Word of God come in the flesh. He is the Word who was with God at the beginning and who was God and He came in the flesh. He is the one through whom the universe was made. Christ is Lord of the Sabbath because He is the one that instituted it when? In the garden, when it was first given. Two, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath because He was the one, the eternal Word of God come in the flesh, who gave the law, including the Sabbath law, to Moses. So there He was, involved in the giving of the law of Moses. There is not a difference between the moral law and the law of Moses. There is not a radical difference between the law of Moses, the moral law at least, and the one that we have in Christ Jesus. But there is continuity. Christ has been involved in the giving of this law from the beginning uh, to the end. So He is Lord of the Sabbath. Three, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath because He was the one who would finish the work given to Him by the Father and enter into the rest typified by the Sabbath day. What does the Sabbath day typify? It points forward to eternal rest. And Christ would be the one who would keep the covenant of works and enter into that rest typified by the Sabbath and therefore He is Lord of the Sabbath. For Christ is Lord of the Sabbath because He is the one who has opened up the way to the eternal rest typified by the Sabbath day for God's chosen people. Not only did He enter into rest, but He has the ability and the authority to bring all of those given to Him by the Father into that rest as well so that we who are in Christ will also experience it as He Himself has experienced it. And and, and five, therefore, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath and, and has the right to institute a new Sabbath day. He has the right to institute a new Sabbath day. I'll reiterate what I said before. Christ changed the Sabbath day, not before His death and resurrection, but only after it. Prior to His death and resurrection, Christ was obligated to obey the law of Moses perfectly. He was not free to alter it, only to obey it. 
And this he had to do in order to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law on behalf of his people. But with that said, Christ did have the authority to change the Sabbath day once he kept the covenant of works and instituted the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace. Christ, having finished his work of new creation and having established a new covenant, instituted a new Sabbath day, for he was indeed Lord of the Sabbath. And what is this new Sabbath day called? It is called the Lord's Day. It is appropriately called the Lord's Day. It is the day that belongs to Christ Jesus our Lord, for on that day, which is the first day of the week, He rose from the grave. And so here is Christ standing before the Pharisees who are criticizing Him of His Sabbath keeping. How strange. How ironic it is. Here they are criticizing Christ concerning His Sabbath keeping. And Christ is looking at them, knowing what He knows, saying, You are criticizing Me? I am I'm Lord of the Sabbath. You are criticizing Me, pitting your opinion against Mine? I am the one who instituted the Sabbath day at creation. And, and you are criticizing Me? I'm the one who gave the Sabbath day to Moses. I'm the one who's keeping the covenant of works so that I might enter into the rest typified by the Sabbath. And you are criticizing me for my interpretation of, of this law and my keeping of the Sabbath day. I am the one who's keeping this covenant of works so that I might bring all those given to me by the Father into the eternal rest symbolized by the Sabbath day. And you are criticizing me, he says to the Pharisees. No, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, He has the right to do with the Sabbath day as He wishes once He fulfills that covenant of works. Notice the pattern. God created the heavens and the earth. He instituted a covenant with Adam and Eve in the garden, the covenant of works. And He gives a Sabbath day corresponding to all of that. Do you see? Now Christ fulfills the law and He accomplishes, again, a new creation. He accomplishes a new creation. He institutes a new covenant, the covenant of grace. And He then gives a new Sabbath day to be kept by the people of God. The pattern of one day of rest out of seven days of, uh, after six days of work remains. But a new, a new pattern is instituted by Christ because He is Lord of the Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, what should we do in response to these things? First of all, I hope that you are coming to truly believe that a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God today. Um, I think you need to be convinced of this, to be quite honest with you. I've taught on this subject before, but I do sense that we here at Emmaus need to grow truly convinced that this is God's will for us. Uh, this is God's law, which still applies to us, that we are to keep the Sabbath day um, two, I think we are to understand that Christ, being Lord of the Sabbath, did change the day from the, first, the, the seventh day to the first day um, as a commemoration of His resurrection when He finished His work of a new creation. We have to be convinced of this, that when we come together on Sunday, um, it, it is to remember Christ's finished work on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection. It's not something entirely different from the Old Covenant Sabbath, though. This pattern of one day out of seven remains for us, but the day has changed. This day is the Lord's day. It is not your day. It is the Lord's day. 
It is the day that belongs to Him. It is the day for us to worship Him, to fix our attention upon Him, uh, to do business with Him in the soul. Uh, this is the Lord's day. We must approach it, therefore, as holy and blessed. Do you believe it? I hope that you do. Three, we are to understand that the Lord's Day Sabbath is a day for rest, but it is also a day for holy activity. In fact, I think some have made the same error that the Pharisees made in Jesus' day. They have so emphasized the principle of rest, they have lost focus of this principle that there is work to be done on this day. There is a certain kind of activity that we are to be engaged in. It is not a day for idleness. Rest your bodies. Yes, I hope that you do. But feed your soul by entering into the worship of God. You are permitted to do necessary things. You are also permitted to show mercy to those who are in need. But it is a day for a holy kind of activity. Four, let us allow for some flexibility in our Sabbath keeping. It is a day for rest and worship. This is true, but acts of necessity and acts of mercy are also permitted. Uh, the rigidity of the Pharisees in their approach to the Sabbath day was in fact inappropriate. And so this is my prayer, that we would have a degree of flexibility in our Sabbath keeping A degree of flexibility needs to be present where we leave room for acts of necessity and acts of mercy. Five, and lastly, though it is true that we must guard against legalism, it is also true that we must guard against antinomianism, which I think is a more serious problem in our day, and I think in particular in our region. Uh, What is antinomianism? It means to be without law. And I would say that the vast majority of Christians in our day, and in our region in particular, are without law. They act as if God's law, His moral law, does not apply to us anymore. Let me put it very bluntly. Friends, it is a sin to break the Lord's Day Sabbath. It is a sin to break the Lord's Day Sabbath. God's law is still to be kept. We are not under the law of Moses. I agree. We are not obligated to keep Moses' Sabbath, the judicial or Jewish Sabbath on the seventh day. No, we are to keep the Lord's Day. We are not bound to keep all of the festival days added to the Sabbath day in the days of Moses. No, those were fulfilled by Christ and thus taken away. But the Sabbath day was given not first to Moses, to Adam. The Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. And so go down that list of Ten Commandments, friends, and ask yourselves, is it, is it a sin for me to have another God besides the one true God? All of God's people would absolutely say, yes, that would be a sin. Is it a sin for me to have idols in my life, to make for myself a God and to bow down before it and worship it? Yes, it is absolutely a sin. It still is for the Christian today. Is it a sin for me to take the name of the Lord in vain? Of course it is a sin to do that very thing. Is it a sin for children to disobey their parents? Yes. What about for you to lie? What about for you to murder? What about for you to commit adultery? What about for you to harbor covetousness in your heart? Are those things sinful for the people of God today? Is it a sin to do those things? Every Christian on the planet would say, yes, but you notice what I have skipped. That fourth commandment is, Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And what I am saying to you is when you go on and you do not approach this day as holy, when you neglect to gather together as God's people, when you forsake the assembling together of the saints, when you treat this day as common and continue on in your common work, in your common recreations, in your common pursuits, you are sinning against God Almighty. You, you hear pastors say you should come to church. 
you know, you should come to church, brother. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be in church. And usually, what, it, what are they appealing to when they, when they make that comment? You need to come to church because it's good for you, right? You need it. You need the fellowship. You need the encouragement. You need to be built up. You need to hear the Word of God. Is that all true? Yes, it is true, but there is something else that needs to be said. You need to be in church on the Lord's Day because if you don't, you are sinning. You, you are sinning a sin of omission, right? You are sinning a sin that is you failing to do what God has commanded you to do in His Word. By failing to gather together with the people of God on the Lord's Day, you are living in sin. Now, are there good reasons to not gather together with the people of God on the Lord's Day? Uh, yes, we'll eventually get to those. It may be that you are providentially hindered, that you are sick, that you have some legitimate work of necessity to do. Maybe it is your actual employment, which involves works of necessity and mercy. I get all of that. I'm not judging you every time you are not here, brothers and sisters. There are good reasons to not be in church on the Lord's Day. I understand that. But by and large, we fail to be in church on the Lord's Day and to gather together and assemble with the people of God, not because there is some good reason not to, but because we are living in sin. Something else is hindering us. We want to feed the flesh. We're at odds with someone in the congregation, and so we avoid them, so on and so forth. Brothers and sisters, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. And when we study the Gospels, what do we see? Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, not getting ready to throw the Sabbath day in the garbage, but rather what we see is Jesus claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, and He's correcting all of the misunderstandings concerning it so that He might give the Sabbath day to His people, to be kept holy and pure by them until the end of the age. He will change it, but only after He kept it perfectly, living under the Old Covenant, under the Law of Moses. What a beautiful thing it is, brothers and sisters. We have, I think, two more sermons uh, to, to, to work through on the Lord's Day Sabbath, but I hope that you are being convinced of this thing, these things. Let us bow together for prayer. Our Father in Heaven, do help us in this, Lord. Uh, Lord, we do not want to grow legalistic. We do not want to be like the Pharisees, so rigid in their interpretation of the law. No room even for acts of necessity or mercy. Lord, help us to guard against this sin of legalism. Lord, we know that we cannot be saved by the keeping of your law. Christ, you kept it for us and we are saved by faith in you alone. Father, and help us not also to be guilty of the sin of legalism by adding to your law things that are not there as prescribed by you. But do help us, Lord, to know your law truly. Your word says that if we are in Christ, that law, that moral law given to Adam has been written on our hearts. Lord, it is there by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is there, not written on stone, but on our hearts, Lord. And so help us to keep this Sabbath day, that fourth commandment, from the heart. Not because we are being threatened by some external law, not, not because we are being coerced, but because we love you, Lord. Your word does say, if we love you, we will keep your commandments. And so, Father, if our hearts need to change, then change them. We pray, Father, that the Sabbath day, the Lord's Day Sabbath, would be a blessing to us, that we would approach it as holy, and that indeed we would grow in Christ, that our love for Him and for one another would increase. Do this for our good and the glory of your name. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray, and all of God's people say, Amen.